Hey, well, good morning, Central Christian Church. Thanks for joining us. It's so awesome to see you there. Uh, man, I have to admit, you have an amazing team here at Central Christian Church. First, your lead pastors, Pastor Tim and Tiffany, thank you so much for this opportunity. But the team, man, your online experiences, your church services, they are so incredible. It's great. I legitimately have taken time and, and looked at so many churches across uh, the nation and what they're doing here, man, it's powerful. So let's show your love right now for your Central Christian Church team. So in the comment box, if you're watching us Facebook Live or YouTube or on our host site, right right now, how much you love your Central Christian Church team. Let's give them some love. And again, thank you so much, Pastor Tim and Tiffany, for allowing me to be with you this morning. Well, hey, let's dive in. John chapter four is what we're gonna be looking at uh, this morning. And this is a very unique story. And uh, before we dive into this story, we're actually gonna look in and, and describe this account of John the author. Now, John the gospel is quite different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the first three gospels. See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they write about Jesus Christ's life in a way that is uh, about what he did, uh, about some of the miracles he accomplished. Well, here in John, John's approach to his audience, the, the readers of his gospel, is more focused on who Jesus is, the divinity of who Jesus is. So we're going to come into account known as the woman at the well story, but we're actually going to look at the last portion of the story. It's known as the whitened harvest in John chapter 4, uh, verse 27 through 38, these 11 verses. But before we do that, let's, let's tee it up a little bit because we have to see the whole context of the story. So we see Jesus, he's this phenomenal leader and teacher, and he's right now currently fleeing this region of Judea. See what was happening in Judea, people were around and listening to this powerful message that Jesus and his disciples were preaching. And uh, his disciples, uh, when, when they, they were baptizing people in, in the region of Judea, people were coming to know God and, and have these radical experience and miracles were happening and the religious leaders of Judea started to get jealous. They, they started to uh, 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 become envious and, and humanity started to creep in. And so Jesus and team, they, they started to have threats and they had to abruptly, scripture says, flee the region of Judea and they were on this way to Galilee. Now this is where it gets pretty interesting in our story. Now, Jesus was a Jewish man, a rabbi he is associated as, and people looked at him as. And Jewish people had an interesting way of, challenging, of traveling from uh, southern Judea all the way up to Galilee. In fact, check out this map for me real quick, if you'll see it. Typically, whenever you were a Jewish person and you would leave Jerusalem in this region of Judea, you would travel all the way around this area of Samaria. Well, Jesus, doing only what Jesus would do, he traveled right up the middle, right up the heart, and he did something that was pretty radical, because it was radical because Jewish people wanted nothing to do with Samaritan 
people. It was a, a racial thing, an ethnic thing. It was a thing where their, their, their people groups didn't see eye to eye on very numerous things. In, in fact, Samaritans were considered to uh, kind of fall away from the Israelite nation because they started marrying people outside of their own people group. So Jesus shows up and he travels right up to this town called Sychar. And he has this encounter with this woman at the well. And he sits there and he sits at Jacob's well and his disciples go into town and Jesus starts having this crazy, radical, cultural, defining encounter. And he begins to have a conversation. Now this is crazy because when you look at verses one through 25, you see how Jesus is talking. You see Jesus is engaging with the Samaritan woman, which, is what, which was against the normal of society. And Jesus, as the disciples are, are away, he starts talking, he starts creating conversation and, and he asks for a couple things from the lady. He first, he asks for a, some water. He says, can you give me a drink? I'm thirsty. The lady, she's puzzled. And yet you see in the first encounter, the first part of our John chapter four, you see that she does. So she's just talking to a woman. Men don't talk to women in this culture. It was against society norms. Like it wasn't something you were supposed to do. Second, he's talking to someone who is a Samaritan, someone who is from a different people group. And I think now more than ever, whenever you read this story, whenever you look at John chapter four, if it could speak to the hearts of our nation, of our community, it's something that we should apply to our lives. Like, look at what Jesus did. I wanna cry out with the top of my lungs. Look, USA, look at what's happening. Look at the example Jesus left for us. He sits down and he, and he talks with her. See, culture then says you would rather burn the laws, rather burn the, the ledgers then let a woman learn from the ledgers for herself and Jesus does these radical things and he encounters and he engages and he talks to this woman and because he does that he changes the trajectory of this town and of this community. So here we go, John chapter four, verses 27 through 38. This is what we're gonna be looking at. So if you have your text, pull it up with me and we'll actually have it right here next to me. So here we go. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Again, you weren't supposed to talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you do? What do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left the water gel beside the well and ran back to her village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Now, this is crucial because this, this woman, not only was she of a different people group or even a woman and Jesus wasn't supposed to associate, but she lived a scandalous life. She has been with numerous men and it's pretty, pretty, she was pretty much on the outside. And then it continues, could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, and this is where I think this is just so unique in the story. He says, I have the kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples were asking each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ready and ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. That's the fruit. People coming to experience everlasting life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants 
another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Let's pray before we go any further. If you're looking through the screen, wherever you're at, let's come together and pray because we believe in the power of prayer. Lord, we give you this time, we give you this praise, and we just say thank you for this opportunity to celebrate your name no matter where we're at, no matter what room we're in. May we always trust you and may we always pull from your word and apply it to our life so we can live a better life on you, for your name. In your great and holy name, we all say amen. Well, life is composed of moments. The greatest moments are celebrated and then reflect upon. And actually we do, uh, we do our very best to create spectacular moments, right? For instance, let's say a family vacation. You know the average family of four, they spend and save up about $5,000 annually to go on a vacation. And before they know it, that vacation's over and they, they, they save and they look all year for this one particular week away. Or check this out, maybe when you, maybe you've been married or, or getting married, or maybe you're parents and you have children who are on their way to get married, or my heart breaks for those who are going to get married this spring. Like, have you seen the viral videos of people who are uh, trying to get married and there's like five people in the ceremony, but they still wanted to get married? Your like, heart breaks. But did you know that the US, uh, uh, US on average spends, uh, uh, Americans, we spend about $30,000 on a wedding a year, like each individual wedding, $30,000, and an estimated 30% of people go into debt to have that particular moment, that wedding. That's pretty crazy. Or maybe you're one of those individuals, like you're in that fun season where you just want to date and have a little fun. And you know, that, that moment comes and you spend 24 hours exhausting yourself, trying to figure out that perfect, well-crafted DM or, or message to send to your special someone that if someone asked you what really happened during that day, you would have no idea because you were so preoccupied with that future moment to come that you didn't even know if you talked to your parents or you talked to your friends or you talked to your, your close relatives in an ill manner because you just wanted to make sure you crafted that perfect text message to invite someone to dinner with you. So sometimes we can be preoccupied and that's today's concern, which leads me to today's concern, which is this. We become preoccupied with future moments over moments, over moments that are our current reality. And it's kind of funny because we do all miss moments, right? Like, let, let's not uh, say we don't miss moments, but check this out. Tell me, illustrate this. Check these pictures out right here. Oh, we've all had this one, right? Where we go for that high five, you have Tiger Woods, you know, that awkward high five and you go in and it's like, you missed. And it's like, woo, like you're trying to shake hands and you're like, hey, and then you try to bring it back. And you're like, dude, let's do it again just because it's so awkward, right? Or check this picture out we have right here. Oh, you know, like they thought this was a good moment. That awkward family photo in reality, man, it was nothing but like, what did we do for their future? Or maybe you have this one right here when it comes to this. Oh, now this one breaks my heart because I think if you have a phone and you have kids, like we've all missed moments, right? You have the phone right here. You have the, the dad hanging out on his phone and the, the child. Man, I've been guilty of that one. I've missed that moment preoccupied with something that's maybe work of tomorrow or maybe just scrolling random things on the internet. Or this one, this is a funny picture right here. These ladies like at the game, this picture went viral, right? They're like, hey, the game is there, but they're like, woo, duck face, you know? You know, like that's when they miss the moment, the reality, like it's right there. 
But this is what leads us to our big idea right now, that God gives us today's moments to make tomorrow moments matter. Jesus had this today moment, this encounter with this woman at the well to then ultimately change a community that was so, so pivotal because he took time when he didn't feel like it, when he was tired, when he was exhausted, when it came out of his schedule that wasn't there in his time block. But when he did that, when he spoke to somebody who was different than him, a community was radically changed. He used his position he used his privilege. He used his, his heart, his love to reach people that no one else wanted to reach. So today, this is what I want to talk to you about, our big idea, how God gives us today's moments to make tomorrow's moments matter. No matter what you are thinking, no matter where you are at, here's something I can guarantee. Right now, we're alive. Right now, we're kicking. Right now, we're, we're living our best lives. But we don't know what's gonna to happen tomorrow. We don't know if tomorrow is even gonna come for us. So we have to control our moments, which are brief points of time. So today, how do we make our moments matter? I think we can pull five observations from these 11 verses and from John chapter four. So first one is this. Number one, we make moments matter today by engaging with others. Think about the greatest moments you've had in your life. When you graduated college, like people were there, your family was supporting you, or maybe you're graduating high school. Like you guys had an incredible Tuesday experience here, that drive-through. Man, I heard so many amazing things. That's incredible. That's awesome. And whenever that is happening, like your senior year got flipped upside down, but man, a community came around to celebrate you. Great moment involves people. Or maybe you get married, you have the bridal party, you have your families, you have your friends show up. That moment is made so special because of the people who support you. Or you open a business. Some of the best performing businesses now are so customer driven. Without customers, the business doesn't thrive. People matter. These companies, they engage with others. Or maybe when you have children, the best moment is when you see that child for the first time. Your heart will never be the same or church life. Now, I know church looks different right now, right? Like we, we can't gather like we're accustomed to. Things are very different. It's social distancing. It's, it's certain occupancy. And some of the best moments in our life are when we engage with others at our church, where our community, where we can bond, where we can grow. See, Jesus is teaching us right now that when it comes to moments, when it comes to making our moments count right now, presently, it involves other people. Verse 26, and Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then the disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Like that is pretty phenomenal. Jesus talking to someone who he shouldn't be talking to. So I love what Ephesians 4, the apostle Paul, he even writes this in, to the church of Ephesus. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul's speaking to the relationship of being involved within a community, with engaging others, your neighbors, the, the greatest commandments, right? That Jesus teaches, love God, love people. See, Jesus teaches a couple things. First is this, when it comes to engaging others, is this, we engage in one another's comfort zone, a commonplace, the city well. 
Many times when we want to engage with people, we want to make sure it's on our own terms. But Jesus says it's not about that. It's about coming where someone is comfortable so we can communicate, so we can engage effectively. Maybe it's when you're walking out your house and you're, you're on your drive, you're on your way to work and you see your neighbor and you don't really have a relationship with your neighbor, but out here in California, space is valuable, right? So when you're walking by, it's hard to brush shoulders and not say anything to somebody. And maybe you do. Maybe you say, hey, like, hey, how are you doing today? Engage with others where they're comfortable. It doesn't have to be on your own terms all the time. Jesus also teaches us this when he's sitting at the well, when he's talking to this lady, he, he engages by finding common ground. See, Jesus, Jesus has nothing in common with this woman, nothing at all. But I, I, I heard this and I found it fascinating. He, if you look at verses one through 26, this whole narrative, this whole story, Jesus asked her for water may I have some water? And she's even questioning. She's like, why are you asking me for water? Like, wh why? See, Jesus knows that one thing they have in common is they both get physically thirsty for water. I think for a lot of us, we, we look at someone, we maybe have a preconceived idea and say, we don't have anything in common. But I, I, I once read, it says this, when it comes to leadership, find 10% that you have in common and then attack that 10%. No matter where we're at, being a human being, we have at least 10% of overlap with someone else, with everyone in this world. Something that we can connect on. If it's what we'd like to eat, if it's what we're thirsty for, we can connect and hone in and attack that 10%. Jesus found the common ground when virtually, if you looked at it, that face value, Jesus had nothing in common with this woman. She was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she lived a scandalous life, someone who wouldn't even be associated with Jesus. And then Jesus also does, he engaged at all times. He was traveling. Some translations say he sat warily on the well, Jacob's well, he was tired. He didn't feel like talking, but he did. I think that one's vital for us. And then also he engaged with everyone. I, I said it time and time again, this woman had really no relationship with Jesus, but yet again, they, they spoke. Jesus engages with everyone. And I think for us, wherever we're at right now in society, whatever's plaguing us, whatever is just happening, we need to engage with everyone, no matter what their uh, beliefs might be, no matter what their sexual orientation might be, whatever their thoughts might be, whatever their political values might be. We're called as followers of Jesus to engage with everyone and to love our neighbor. Making moments matter for us today. Number two is this. We need to be encouraging questions. I love this, right? The disciples, they come back and, and they say, and verse 27 says this, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do, you, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? None of them had the nerve to ask. Jesus lived such a radical life that people were asking questions. They didn't even wanna ask questions, but like, whoa, Jesus, you're doing something crazy, man. Like, can you imagine the disciples walking up and be like, hey, just talking to a Samaritan woman? Like, dude, we don't do that. Like, we need to get out of Samaria. Like, this doesn't happen. Yet, Jesus encouraged questions. I mean, if you look at Jesus' life time and time again, when it comes to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he is prompted. People ask questions, and they try to, they try to catch them. They try to trip them up. And yet, Jesus causes them to ask some questions. John the Baptist, if you read earlier on John, in the Gospel of John, he asks Jesus, are, are you the one? Or are you the Messiah? Jesus' followers, time and time, asked him questions. How are we going to feed these people? Where are we going to go? Jesus, who's the greatest? Or Jesus, why do you do that? Jesus, we're supposed to get out of the boat? 
Like time and time again, Jesus lived a life where people asked questions about what he was doing and how he lived. I think it's even more important, and I think, uh, I think it's also tandemly important of this. The Samaritan woman asked Jesus' question, why are you asking for me to give you a drink? See, not only did people ask questions about Jesus' life, Jesus asked questions about people's life. Many times I, I think we get wrapped up wanting people to ask about us that we forget to ask about them. See, Jesus, he, he, he lays it out for us. He, he says, may I have something to drink? And it's breaking and it's, and it's shifting from culture. The life of Jesus warranted questions on two fronts. He asked questions and questions were asked of him. So my question for you right now is, are people asking questions of you? Like are your coworkers, when they see the way you live your life, the standards that you set, the way you give of your times, talents, and treasures to your church, to your cause, are they saying, hey, why do you do what you do? How do you stay positive after we just got reamed by our boss? How do you stay positive and keep your spirit uplifted whenever your child is, is, is going through what they're going through? How do you stay uplifted? How do you stay positive when society is legitimately causing so many questions? How do you stay positive? Are you staying in a, in a realm where people are asking questions about your life because of the way you live your life? See, moments, the way we live these brief points of time, encourage people to ask questions more following Jesus. Number three for us today when it comes to making moments matter is clarifying what is valuable. The woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Now, now we have to remember right here in verse 28, the woman left her jar beside the well and ran back to the village. So she came for water. She came for a purpose. She came for a reason. But then she realized something was much bigger here at this time. And she left what she came for. She left what was tangible for something so much greater. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I love what the great theologian, pastor A.W. Tozer writes in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says this, now faith is the gaze of the heart at God. And if this is, now if this gaze is of the raising of the inward eyes to meet the all-seeing eyes of God, then it follows that it is one of the easiest things possible to do. It would be like a God, it would be like God to make the most vital thing easy and place it within the range of possibility for the weakest and the poorest of us. Can you imagine this woman, this Samaritan woman, pulling water from this well? She was distraught. She was down. She, in a sense, lived a desolate life. She was divorced. She was, she was consumed with maybe this, this self-loathing in her life. She didn't have a positive future. Can you imagine Jesus approaching this well and she's pulling up this water and she looks up and she sees Jesus and they make eye contact and her life is radically changed because that look that was locked in Jesus's eyes, her life became, became alive and it started with a look. 
It's a gaze of our heart at God. The poorest, the weakest, no matter where we've been, no matter what happened in our life, in our circumstances, it starts with a look. When you give God a shot, God's gonna show up. When, when you say, God, like, I, I just need to look up, God. I just, I just need to keep my head up. I, I wanna give it a chance, God. I, I wanna pursue you. God can do some incredible things. This woman's a testament. This story is a testament. I think no matter where you're at, maybe you're tuning in and uh, you, you just discovered us through whatever social media platform, where, wherever you're sitting right now, if you don't have a relationship with God, we wanna pray with you. We wanna give you more insight as we close. I wanna encourage you to fill out one of the connection cards because the team here at Central, we wanna journey with you. We wanna help you when you start with that look, begin to live. And then when it comes to looking, after she makes this eye contact with Jesus and after her life, after this conversation is radically cha changes her trajectory of her life, she looks and then she leaves and she drops this well. She, she, drops, the, she, she drops her jar and runs back to people. She, she looks at Jesus and then she looks at her community. I think that's so important. It's not, she doesn't look at Jesus and look at her jar and say, I have to grab my jar and go. She looks at Jesus and then she says, I have to look at Jesus and then I need to go find my people, my community, the people that matter. Clarifying what matters is people, God and people. She begins with a relationship with Jesus and then she instantly turns to her community. This woman left smaller things, tangible things and was consumed by letting people know the power of what she just experienced. I love what scripture says. It says she ran or walked hastily. This is another cultural abnormal uh, moment right here in our, in our story. She, she, you don't run, women don't run. You never see someone's underside of their feet, but she did because she knew what was important. She clarified what was valuable. I love what John Maxwell said in his book, Leadership, he, he draws this, uh, this, uh, this picture of when it, when it comes to living a life with a community or living a life as a leader. It says you can uh, live a life, there's a certain point when it comes to being a solo, like a soloist. Like there's, if you're playing a guitar, if you're playing a piano, whatever the case might be, there's a limit to the expression of music you can create. But then he compares that to being a conductor. Whenever you're a conductor, you have an orchestra, you have the woodwinds, you have the brass section, you have instruments. And it almost seems like the music isn't put at a ceiling level. There is limitless ability there. Clarifying what is valuable is when we bring other people into the mix, when we understand what Jesus can do in our lives and then what we can understand where our community and where our, where our people, the, the ones around us, our neighbors who we love and who are around. So we continue to make moments matter today by doing this. Number four is this, embracing the mission. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Now, they would have been another point where they would have been shocked because Jesus being a Jewish man, them being in Samaria. Then Jesus explained, my, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I also love what Philippians 27, I'm not gonna read the whole thing this morning, 
right now, but 127 says this. There's this first little sentence in, in the message translation. I love it. Meanwhile, live in such a way. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Church of Philippi. He says this. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. And in other words, no matter where we're at, 24-7, 365, no matter how we're feeling, we are to always be embracing the mission, to proclaim the faith of the gospel and live consistently with Jesus' commands. See, Jesus and his disciples, they were stopping about halfway. They traveled 40 miles over rough terrain. They're running for their lives virtually. And what they've done, when Jesus had every right to check out, he doesn't check out. He embraces the mission. He sees the woman and, and, and he engages. I think so many times, you know, we get tired and we, we get in these, these moments where it's just like, hey, I have every reason to be tired. I have a four-year-old. I have a two-year-old. I'm exhausted. I'm working. And you just want to give up and you want to check out. Well, Jesus actually speaks contrary to that. And he's saying, you know what? No matter where you're at, no matter how you're feeling, we're always on mission. If our travel plans get interrupted, if our journey gets stopped, if our schedule is, comes to a halt, if we get sheltered in place, for the year to come, we are always to be on mission, always to be looking for our neighbor, always to be looking for someone who's right around us. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, we went on a, a date. We usually try to get uh, at least a date in once a week where it's great times. We love it. And uh, one thing we love to do is whenever we go on dates, we like to take an, a Lyft or an Uber uh, because we like to get out of our sphere a little bit. We like to meet new people. Well, usually if you ever lifted our Uber, like it's big out here where we live. It's not as necessarily prevalent, but like out here, you know, you, you can relate, you can understand. Well, whenever uh, you, you get into the Lyft or Uber, you usually have two ends of the spectrum, right? You have that, what I like to deem as the chatty Kathy uh, Uber Lyft driver, where like you get in and they're asking you question after question. Hey, how's it going? What are you guys doing? Having fun. And you're like, oh man, why are you asking so many questions? Or then you have the other uh, end of the spectrum where it's that like silent individual type and you get in and they're like, uh, yeah, I'm going here. And they don't respond. And you're like, do they even know I'm back here? And before you know it, you arrive at your destination. You're like, okay, so they knew I was back here. Well, this one particular night, I was tired. We had worked all day. We, we went out. We went on a day. It was a great day. And I was ready, like 9 o'clock hit. I'm ready to call it a night and go to bed and go to sleep. So we get the lift. We, they, they come back. They, they pick us up. And we're in this car ride. And you, you know when you're just in those moments, you sit there and you're like, huh. I was in one of those modes where I did not want to talk to anybody my wife, she, she's uh, just the sweetest individual. I'm a little biased, but she is. And so she's carrying this conversation. And they're having this conversation. And the whole 20-minute car ride back home, they're, they're talking. And I, I don't say a word. I'm like, I do not want to talk. I am paying you to drive me, not talk to me. Like, is my spirit. So I'm like, finally get there. I don't even think I say bye. I close the door. I don't even know if I left a star review. That's how, like, where I was at. So we get out, and we're on this driveway. And I'm like, that guy, they're annoying. And I say that to my wife. And she looks at me. You know how you got that look with your spouse, right? Looks at me, and she goes, Blake, you, you know, you never know uh, you're, when, when you have these experiences or when you have these moments if we're ever going to see that person again, or you never know what kind of impact you can leave with somebody. And you, you know we love Jesus, right? And she said that to me in like the sweetest way. And, and I could tell she was a little frustrated with me. And like right then, it was like a two by four right 
in between my eyes. Because I, I, I got consumed where I was tired. I didn't feel like doing something. And yet I forgot about the mission. No matter where we're at, we're always to be, to be in a place to embrace the mission. 24-7, 365, despite how we're feeling. I mean, Jesus walked 40 miles and he ran for his life. And then he sits down at a well, sends people off, and he talks to someone he shouldn't have even spoken to. That's radical. That's amazing. When it comes to making moments matter, number five for us is this, is that we need to be willing to be enjoying the reward. I love what verse 35 says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. This is probably a first century Jewish proverb that all of the disciples listening are are used to or have heard at one time or another. But then Jesus says, but I say to you, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. And then here we go. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. See, Jesus is clearly addressing that at this time, that one sows, another another harvests. That no matter what, Jesus right now, he, he talks to this, this lady. And because he talks to this lady, you read later on in John chapter 4, this town comes out to hear who he is and what he's all about. The, the disciples, they were basically the entourage. They basically just sat there. They basically just did a couple errands and didn't really have to do much. But yet they got to experience this radical transformation of this town. Scripture goes on to say that they spent at least two more days in this region of Samaria when they shouldn't have. But yet they do. Because they, they, they see, they, they, they witness, they, they see this, this power of God at, at first hand. And they do something radical and impressive, or or Jesus does, and they get to just experience the reward. Psalms 47 verse 1 says this, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. We have things to be joyful for. In an interview, Coach Urban Meyer Coach Urban Myers, uh, I'm, a, I'm from Florida right now, so we're like Gators fan, go Gators. I mean, out here, I don't know if they have any like collegiate football teams, you know, like West Coast, like Pac-12, is that even something that exists? All right, you know, I think your, can- your season's canceled anyway. So Cur- Coach Urban Myers, who wins a national championship, and, and he has this interview. He has this interview with ESPN, he sits down, and he, he's talking about how he had to step down because there's so much anxiety and pressure and some of the things that he was battling personally after they win, and, and he shares and he reflects on the story. And they win the national championship. Like, and, and he goes back and, and, he, and he's highlighting, and he wins this national championship. And then after they win this national championship, later that night, he's text messaging and calling future recruits. Talk about a man who's not, who wasn't enjoying the reward. I mean, you win the national championship, something that probably has never happened out here in California at any level, right? And you win this national championship, and then you feel like you have to go and, and recruit people. It's like, dude, why don't you go have a steak dinner? Why don't you go celebrate with your team? But see, we have to enjoy the reward. And I think it's so easy to, in our culture, in American culture, where we don't feel like we, we have to deserve 
that reward. We, we have to earn that reward. And that's what the, the following Jesus and our relationship is, is so pivotal and so moving that God loves us so much that it doesn't matter who we are, what, what we've done. There's no way that we can earn our salvation that he, that he extends his hand to each and every one, no matter where we come from, no matter what we've done. We can't earn his reward. He's given us his reward. We just have to be willing to accept it and take it. See, making moments matter today means we need to enjoy the reward. The disciples, they see this moment where Jesus has this encounter and this story, and then this whitened harvest comes. And basically, they just have to be the ones that celebrate this reward see the people that are coming to meet Jesus, see the people that are coming to experience radical life transformation. So today, my question to you is this, are you enjoying the reward? When you're spending time with your family, when, are, are you enjoying that one-on-one time with your children? Are you enjoying this weird, abnormal shelter in place where it's maybe just you and your family, and maybe you're going crazy a little bit because it can get a little frustrating, but are you taking a step back and enjoying what you have around you? Maybe some of you are going through some pretty tough times and you've been impacted financially and my, my heart grieves with you and uh, I, I've, I understand I've been in certain situations where it's impacted my life and uh, I stand with you, but I wanna encourage you no matter what you've gone through, no matter where you are at, enjoy the reward that's around you. And maybe right now that reward is just a one-on-one relationship with you and God. Enjoy it. Maybe you need to enjoy that reward of that uh, you get to watch some Netflix. Maybe you need to enjoy the reward that you're getting a lot of just points going through the Starbucks line because the drive through is open. Whatever the case is, enjoy the reward. And mostly, most important, as we wrap up our time this morning, is enjoy the reward that God's placed for you, that he wants to have an adamant relationship with you. I think Jesus teaches us more and more time that no matter what we go through, no matter where we're at in culture, society, that when culture says one thing, Jesus says something else. So it brings us back to our big idea today, and it's this, God gives us today's moments to make tomorrow's moments matter. Enjoy these brief points of time Put them together collectively and let God do amazing work through you. Enjoy these rewards. Enjoy this time. Make your moments matter today. Let's pray, and then I want to give you some further directions. God, we give you this time. Whoever's watching, no matter where they're at, we pray that you just touch their lives. We pray that you help us to make our moments matter right now so that we can impact community, impact lives, and and be with us as we focus on who you are and what you can be in our life. In your great name, we say amen. And right now, I want to encourage you. Maybe you've decided to take a, an opportunity, a step forward to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you, fill out that Connect card, uh, and uh, we would love to connect with you virtually, online. This is an amazing church, and we care about you.